0: Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, the place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. You might remember when the current uh, Pope was installed, there was lots of press around some of the things that he did uh, in the immediate uh, aftermath. Uh, And what struck out to me and uh, has stood out to me was how uh, uh, two things, one apparently how he... Uh, refused the uh, red Prada shoes that the Pope gets to wear. He apparently said, "No, no, I don't want any of that stuff." Uh, and uh, the other thing was that after being elected, uh, he had to—he he himself went back and uh, caught the train uh, to his hotel and paid the bills and sorted everything out. Himself, Of course, the sort of things that someone who's leading probably one of the most rich and uh, potentially powerful organisations in the world might not uh, think of doing uh, now that he was the boss, but he did it anyway. And uh, it it generated quite a lot of good publicity for him and for the uh, the Catholic Church at the time. And and the reason I think it did so is because they were two good examples of a leader who was seeking to exercise his power... With humility. And and of course, that resonates with us today because it's the kind of leadership that Christ calls us to, and it's the kind of lifestyle that Paul is calling the Ephesians to, and he's calling us to uh, in our uh, close, uh, uh, intimate relationships. Uh, in this part of Ephesians starting back where we started last week in verse 21 of chapter 5 where he lays out this principle that kind of covers over all that we've talked about so far submit to one another out of reverence for Christ this humbling of oneself of seeking the good of the other over and before yourself is the, the the way a Christian ought to live both When we come together at times like this, but also when we go home, when we go to work, uh, when we're seeking to raise our family, Paul says, this is the way the Christian should live. And so... Uh, As I said, we've been working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, I could probably give some of you a bit of a test on some of the big main points uh, at this point, as what we've been talking about. But we know Ephesians uh, is all about how we've gone from death to life. I'm thinking that you could almost, almost start saying these things with me, from death to life uh, uh, in the gospel, in, with it because of what Jesus has done for us and our trust in that, and that the fruit of that is this one united humanity that we uh, live. No longer do we live primarily as Jew, primarily as Gentile, primarily as Westerner, primarily as Indian. These distinctions fall away. We find one new humanity in Christ expressed in the church. And so Paul, uh, uh, making those two big theological foundational claims at the start of Ephesians, then begins to say, given those two realities you need to actually live that out. You need to seek unity. You need to seek purity in the way that you live uh, so that what's true of you because of what God has done will be true in the way you live together as you seek to follow him. And of course, we heard last week how uh, there's no chance of us doing that uh, in our relationships with each other in the church when we see each other once, twice a week, if we can't do it, in our closest personal relationships, and so Paul moves from some very big theology to some more broad how he should live as the church, right down into the most intimate of relationships, like as we saw last week with husbands and wives. And today we go for parents and children, and slaves and masters, and we'll think about what that means for us today. But first. Parents and children, from verses one to four, you've got the reading there in front of you. And what goes uh, kind of first before we think about what Paul actually said is the very fact that he says it. You see, it's quite stunning, really, that in this book of the Ephesians, written in the first century to a group of people who called themselves followers of Jesus, that the apostle Paul, a significant uh, figure in the church, would in his letter say, children, let me now address you, children. You see, this is extremely counter-cultural because we know that children were often treated extremely poorly in the first century. We know in the Roman Empire, Uh, that babies were often killed, abandoned. If they were weak or deformed, they were left for dead. Uh, uh, Children were seen as a nuisance. In fact, uh, they could be treated as slaves. So just think how good you've got it back there, kids. Uh, uh, But Paul writes in the first century into that context where children are subhuman and he addresses them. He says, children, I want you to behave in a certain way. And this is a radical thing. And it shows, doesn't it, the fruit of faith in the lives of the Christians, that they had their children in church and they were including them in their lives, that Paul thought of them as as people to address, because we know Jesus had a, a radically positive view of children. He says in Matthew 18, verse 5, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. To welcome a child, Jesus says, is to welcome me into the church. Children are not only part of the church, but they are uh, how we treat them uh, and how the first century Christians treated them reflected how they treated the Lord Jesus. And so I think we want to just pause at this point, don't we, and think to ourselves, are we doing likewise? Are we welcoming of children into our church? Because if we are, and I think we're doing a great job, uh, then we are welcoming the Lord Jesus. But if we're not, then have we got any room in our hearts for him? The gospel compels us to be welcoming of children. And so it's changed Paul, it's changed the Ephesians. And so Paul addresses the children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And I can see all the parents up the back there now saying, yeah, listen to this bit, kids. Paul uh, is telling uh, them to uh, do this act of obedience, for it is right that's his justification for obedience. That is, he's making an appeal from kind of general revelation. It's not a, it's, he's not at this point saying, because God says it's the right thing to do, he's sort of just saying, like, it's just obviously the way that human beings relate to one another, where we, good children do what their parents say. Uh, and... Uh, uh, We know that in the same time as Paul, all sorts of different uh, people from different cultures also believed that it was a good idea for children to, to be obedient to their parents. Of course, Paul gives a qualification on the obedience, so he says, in the Lord. That is, children are to obey their parents, not in everything, but in everything that lines up with the call of Christ on their lives. And it's interesting to think uh, more about what that looks like in specific circumstances, and it's hard to kind of preach on that, but to say that there could be times where it might be right for a child to not obey their parents, but in general terms, uh, the attitude ought to be one of obedience. And it's obedience that springs from honour. Verse 2, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise... So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That is, Paul says, it's not just mindless drudgery and obedience, but it's an obedience that springs from an inward respect that the child has for uh, his or her parents. That is... They have this internal attitude of, of honouring them for who they are, for, for, for what they've given up for the, for the child, for, for the way that they're seeking to raise them. Uh, and out of that honour you have, you, you obey your parents. So... He also says that when we obey, we get long life. That's what he seems to say, doesn't it? That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. He's quoting from our first reading from the Ten Commandments. And that begs the question, does it? it? Is he saying that if you're a child here today or if you w- were a child a long time ago, is the reason you're still sitting here some 80 years later because you're an obedient child uh, and, and so you've got long life? But, of course, we all know, uh, sadly, children who were wonderful children uh, who who haven't lasted, uh, 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 haven't lived long lives. So it can't be, I don't think, a promise that input this into your life, obedience and honour, and uh, output is God makes you live to your 80 or 90. I don't think Paul's saying that. I think what he's saying is a more general thing, and that is that if you uh, have a general set of uh, children and parents who are relating in the ways Paul describes in this passage, then you have a society that is well-ordered uh, and that will um, be prosperous and, and, and grow and be built on uh, the stability. Essentially, he's saying strong families build strong societies. So, children are called to obedience and to honour. And of course, that begs the question for some of us here today, some of us still have kids in the home, it's fairly obvious how that works, but some of us uh, have kids who are no longer at home. So, can you ring up your son or your daughter today, uh, who's maybe 40 or 50, and say, hey, come and mow my lawn. Uh, The Bible says you need to obey me, so, you know get round here and get mowing, kid. Uh, c- can you behave in that way if you're a parent of a of a, an older child? And, it, and it's interesting to think when's the cut-off for parental obedience uh, and, and the things that Paul's uh, talking about in this passage. But, of course, uh, scholars debate about this endlessly as they do many things, and I think the most compelling answer is that uh, the obedience cut-off point comes uh, whenever society kind of has determined that you've entered adulthood. So it could be 18 in our society where we sort of decide, but I I think that's a bit arbitrary. I actually think uh, that it's probably around the time that the child has gained some sort of financial independence and has, has moved out of the family home, which in this day and age might be when you're about 36. Um, so uh, th- th- that's when you uh, reach adulthood, is, is, is that, that moment of, of, of becoming your own independent unit, I think. that That's when that obedience thing, I believe, and in my council, uh, w- would seek to uh, kind of fall away a bit. Of course, the honour your parents bit does never never falls away, does it? And so we're all called, if we have our parents still with us, to honour them and to do what we ever uh, God is calling us to do, to seek their good, because that's what they've been doing for us. And so uh, I don't think there's any place for us as Christians to just uh, cart parents off into some. Uh, place where they can kind of be out of sight, out of mind, and someone else has got it. We, we're called to actually have a, uh, a, 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 uh, an actual interest in our parents as they age uh, and making sure that they are still able to live life well, uh, however that looks for them uh, in their older age. Well... Paul gives these two commands to the child for obedience and honour. And just just as last week we saw, he gives... Uh, commands that could appear a bit unsettling. Oh, I don't know if I want to obey my parents. I don't really think that's a a great idea. And we saw last week the the wives might be thinking, I'm not really sure if I want to uh, submit to my husband. That doesn't sound like a good idea. Of course, uh, Paul then gives instructions to the husband and instructions to the parents that make us understand the the mutual relationship that these entities have. So the wife submits to a husband who what? Lays down his life for his wife and seeks her good, puts her before himself. Uh, It's a a beautiful picture of of love and respect and submission that Paul paints back in chapter 5. And likewise, with the uh, child and the parent, we have another wonderful picture of... Uh, uh, obedience to a parent who is seeking the good of the child in bringing them up in the faith. So Paul says in verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children, instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And let me say, I think that given verses 1 to 3 uh, a talk about parents and children, it says mothers and fathers, it says parents, uh, and I think given the way that Greek works, we can understand fathers there to be uh, a little broader than that, and include mothers. So, mums, you're not off the hook. You're not allowed to exasperate your children either. But it is specific to, I think, uh, Paul has specifically mentioned fathers because in his context, in his day, uh, he uh, had we had fathers who had great command and control over the family units. The father was the head of the family, he exercised authority, he had full rights over his children as a master did a slave and so Paul's, I guess, specifically saying to them, in the way you lead and use this authority that the society has placed upon you, you need to do in such a way that seeks their good and seeks them to grow in the faith. And so I think today for us, we need to do a heart check as parents... We need to see and seek uh, the Lord and ask Him if we're using our authority as parents for the good of our children. And I, I, I would think that most of us are. But we need to make sure that we're not making irritating or unreasonable demands upon our children which make no allowances for their inexperience or immaturity. Yeah, it can be very easy, can't it, to be frustrated with your children because... I don't know, let's just take a random example. They like to scream all the time for no apparent reason while you're trying to do something. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it can be easy for us to, to think, come on, don't do that, that's annoying, can you stop it? And we can place, uh, try and place rules and regulations around them, but of course we forget that they're two and they've got no idea what they're doing. Uh, we've, got to be a, a, we've got to parent in ways that are age-appropriate, in ways that don't exasperate, but also in ways that help them grow and develop as well. It's it's a hard job being I speak to you today as an imperfect parent who's seeking uh, to figure out how to do this best. We need to check our hearts, though, to make sure we're not making unreasonable demands, to make sure we're not being harsh or cruel, to make sure we're not showing favouritism uh, or overindulging our children. We have to be uh, parents who seek to love our children and cause them to grow in the faith and do what is best, even if sometimes they don't like it. We remember, if we've got parents who love the Lord and love us, then we've got children who are seeking to obey that. We should have a pretty good thing going. Of course, sin gets in the way often. Well, we've got parents and children. Paul also moves to slaves and masters. I want to cover this a little more quickly today. Uh, It's an interesting thing to read in the Scriptures, isn't it? Commands to slaves and masters. Uh, And again, though, we can note something here, that it's amazing that Paul actually even addresses the slave, just as it was amazing that he addresses the child because again the slave was a subhuman entity in the roman world and so the gospel has once again radically transformed the way christians do community no longer do they can can they only conceive of their slave or their children as property but as people saved by the same grace they are serving the same lord they do And so there's a radical uh, promotion of the worth of the slave here in these verses, even though when we read them in the 21st century, it sounds a bit unkind or unfair that Paul just says, deal with it, slave, and, and, and honour your master. But of course, slaves looked a bit different to how we conceive of slaves as well. They reckoned that in the Roman Empire there were 60 million slaves and that they could have been anything from domestic servants through to doctors or administrators, uh, that slaves were sometimes inherited or purchased, sometimes it was a debt, you'd sell yourself into slavery to pay off a debt. Uh, And uh, it, it it was a kind of different economic way of life. But Paul's instruction to the slave in verses uh, 5 through 8 is that they obey their masters because this relationship reflects something of their relationship with the Lord Jesus. That is, their ability to submit to those who are in authority over them uh, somewhat reflects their ability to submit to the Lord Jesus who is in authority over all of us. And uh, John Stott says, as he reflects on this passage, that this same principle applies to all of us, that all of us have people who God places over us and our ability to submit submit to them reflects something of our ability to uh, submit to and serve the Lord Jesus. But not only that, when we do things in our work, in particular in this case, that uh, we need to have the mindset that we're not only doing it Uh, for our family or for our boss or uh, for our company, but we're doing it for the Lord. And so John Stott says this, "'Our great need is the clear-sightedness "'to see Jesus Christ and to set him before us. "'It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal "'as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, "'or to spring-clean the house "'as if Jesus Christ were to be the honoured guest.' It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, for nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, for shop assistants to serve customers, for accountants to audit books, for secretaries to type letters, for miners to mine the land, for farmers to till the soil, all as if they were doing it to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. John Stott says, just as the master was to conceive of... uh, Just as the slave, sorry, was to conceive of his uh, work as a slave as something he did to honour the Lord, so we too can conceive of our work as something we do to honour the Lord Jesus. Well, the command to masters, very briefly, is similar that they uh, work and be kind masters because the way they exercise their mastership of, over others is the same uh, or to be the same as the way Jesus exercises his lordship over uh, them uh, that is a, he a loving gracious master this call that we've heard over the last 2 weeks for the Christians to live uh, their corporate lives together, their close family lives together, is a call to a radically counter-cultural, counter-cultural different way of life. It's particularly striking as we reflect on husbands, on fathers, on masters who were usually men in the day, that there's a call here uh, on uh, a broken society uh, uh, that had mis- uh, completely misunderstood the way that male authority was meant to work and it's a call for men to lovingly lay themselves down for the good of those God has placed in their care. But it's a call for all of us to let Christ be our model for sacrificial love, for leadership, for submission to one another as Christ submitted to his Father for obedience as Christ obeyed his Father. And we need to keep asking for God's help as we seek to live like this. We need to ask for God's Spirit to fill us so that these things will naturally flow out of us, not out of our will, but out of his work in us. And so I pray that you'll join with me in seeking to live radically radically different, Christ-shaped lives, that totally turned this world upside down. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you are encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.